nice and most wonderful time of the year. You know, except all those aches and pains that creep up as the weather gets cooler, or God forbid you pull a Clark Griswold while putting up the lights. But what if there's a way to be able to enjoy the cold weather of the holiday season without the associated bodily aches and pains? Well, imagine no further as Evil's CBD Topical Freeze Gel is here to the rescue. Whether it's to help that nagging shoulder injury from sports ball game of yesteryear, or it's to help alleviate those deep aches and pains, CBD Topical Freeze Gel from Ebels offers the industry best quality and strength to offer lasting relief from chronic pain. And this holiday season, all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience can get that perfect gift to self or stocking stuffer for that fitness fanatic in the family at an exclusive discount at checkout using code TBNS. Again, use code TBNS at checkout to get your discount applied to your order. Listen, the holidays are especially tough this year, so let's at least not spend them in pain. So use code TBNS at checkout to see the evil's difference today. Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific need. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Victor Antonio, welcome to the program. Selling is all about really, it's, we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think you're selling, a solution. You're selling change. Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the Liberty Movement. And this is why we talk about being the trusted advisor. You should be able to help use that expert guidance and all the opinions that I'm sure that you have and help lead them towards not just a decision, but the right decision. Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Hello, Brian. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you back on, Max. We're here today to talk about um, some some of these running presidential candidates on the left, uh, namely the the likes of an Elizabeth Warren and an Andrew Yang, because I think of the candidates we've seen out there, those two have really been promoting um, two very distinct, unique forms of economic policy. Um, and you being the, uh, the the economist you are over at AIR, which is the American Institute for Economic Research, which is a fantastic organization, have been doing a lot of great work to uh, really kind of explain uh, what it is that they believe um, to the audience. So what I want to do first and foremost is kind of dissect 
uh, Elizabeth Warren's, uh, her, her mm. different tax policies. And then what we'll do is dig into Andrew Yang and we'll break this into two episodes. So it's easier for people to digest, um, you know, be able to actually separate the, the policies. I know it gets, it can get really confusing when we're comparing, you know, side by side, uh, liberal policies. So let's kind of start off with Elizabeth Warren. Now, Elizabeth Warren, she has really become the the new Bernie Sanders, if you will, and that's not really saying too much because she's just you know over the age of seventy herself. Um, so she's been promoting this this you know Bernie plan essentially, but it's the the Warren version, and it seems even more um, insane than it was for the Bernie Sanders plan. So how about this, Max? I'll I'll defer to you, being the economist. Let's kind of lay the foundation. What is it that uh, that Elizabeth Warren is promoting as her vision for the economy um, going forward? Right. So so on paper, Sanders and Warren look fairly similar in terms of Medicare for all, big Green New Deal type response to climate change, um, really aggressive antitrust against tech companies, those kinds of things. High taxes, obviously. Um, the difference that I see is in overall philosophy, and it's sort of ironic because in terms of rhetoric, Bernie is to the left of, of Elizabeth Warren. And I think deep down that that bears itself out. I think Bernie mm-hmm. would love nothing more than to dismantle the private sector, but he knows he's not going to be able to do it. And he kind of loses interest in it. Whereas Elizabeth Warren wants to run the private sector. Um, right. and, and that manifests itself in these conversations as she's the capitalist, right? She's the, but in the end, I actually think that makes her more dangerous. I think she has a um, capacity to, to micromanage and, and, and a faith in her ability to do that, that, that is very much in keeping with, with being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just say that. Um, and uh, also it, it is really just um, goes against a lot of, um, you know, the economics that, that I've learned, which, which say you can't be telling these firms what to do. You can't be saying, um, oh, if you have, um, you know, one of her plans is accountable capitalism. And, and she says, um, if you have over a billion dollars in assets, you have to apply for a special charter and you have to look out for the interest of all your stakeholders, workers, and uh, in addition to shareholders, um, in addition to consumers. And, you know, I think those things to people who aren't uh, maybe as well informed, those things sound like, oh, that's common sense. They sound like nice things. Yeah, they, they sound like... Like, oh, this makes sense. Like, you know, she's just trying to make sure that everybody who's, you know, possibly building up this, you know, let's just say a company that they should have, quote unquote, the the fair share that they deserve based on, you know, what the the company is doing. So I think, you know, when you look at exactly what she's promoting to the, the populace by and large. To them, it makes sense, and, and they, they kind of can you feel that that sentiment? I, I'm almost guaranteed themselves in you know their own daily lives. You no, know, I, I I agree, and I think that's what makes her um, so dangerous, <laughs> more dangerous than 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 Bernie in some ways. Is I think mm-hmm. she's more electable, and I think she's more likely to get some of this stuff passed. But when you look at what that stuff is, um, it really has a, a, a pretty phenomenal faith in the ability of the government to. Um, to really centrally plan. I mean, let's call it let, let's call it what it is. Um, right. It, it, and so, um, 
so so this is you know I'll 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 make no bones about it. This is my least favorite of all of the presidential candidates. <laughs> well, okay, how about this? Let's kind of explain to to the audience because it's one thing to say you know we we are not fans of you know the left or in yep. general, or we're not fans of Bernie or or, or Elizabeth Warren, or we go down the list of the Democratic yep. presidential candidate, but it really comes down to not just not liking them. And I think that's one thing that people need to realize when right. they're listening to this episode is that it's not of us not liking them. And, and as we do our Andrew Yang episode, you know, there's a lot of things about Andrew Yang personally that I, I like um, and I find endearing. However, when we look at their policies and their principles, when you when you look, number, number one, at historical context, but also number two, based on that historical context, what it would mean for you know a, a future where these policies are enacted it, right. it yields nothing but destruction, and and I don't think people realize that just because something makes you feel good inside doesn't mean it actually is a good policy to uh, to embrace. Right, um, and 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 uh, you know we see on both sides of the aisle that that um, giving people a good story about who they are and making them feel good is really really a path to election. Um, I, you know, in terms of her policies, um, uh, where where should I start? Uh, it, so, so we um, one of uh, one of the key contributions to kind of libertarian economic thinking that came from uh, Friedrich Hayek, the the you know Nobel winning economist, is this idea of information that's out there in the economy and the idea that 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 knowledge is dispersed is what he said. Now, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. It means that you, Brian Nichols, know yourself, your abilities, your wants, your needs, your capabilities to do various things. And that makes you able to, using all of that information, go out and find the most, um, the people to cooperate with that will, that will create the most value, i.e., you know, purchasing products, doing work, those kinds of things. Now, If there's somebody centrally kind of moving about that, that, you know, planning a lot of that economy, right? Think about trying, think about that person trying to absorb all of that knowledge from, from, Mm -hmm. you know, hundreds of millions of people and it can't be done. Um, And so you're, you're essential, a central planner is essentially blindfolded. And, you know, that carries over to not just, you know, the most strict central planning, um, you know, communism, whatever, but it um, also just in, in these these kinds of these ideas of um, we're going to have an office that, that tells you what, um, you know, that, 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 that makes a judgment about whether you're looking out for all your stakeholders or we're going to issue a blanket rule for everybody that, you know, is going to work way worse for some than others. And, um, you know, she has, I think at my last count, 48 plans on her website. <laughs> well, she's the one, obviously, um, and, everybody knows she has a plan, right? She like, even that's says her, Elizabeth has yeah. a lot of plans. Yep, that's her on thing. Her website. Um, and, and, and I think to some people that that looks like, oh, she's doing her homework. She's serious about it. And she obviously is. And she's obviously a formidable, smart person. But I think she really has a very flawed and problematic understanding of the way something as complex as our economy works. Well, you know what? And let me let me jump in here because this is the part that really it, it makes me uneasy because I don't know if she is naive, more mm-hmm. so that she's manipulative and she is very calculated in what she's doing because Elizabeth yeah. Warren from 20 some odd years ago, she was singing a completely different tune than what she's singing today. And that shows me that she knows better. She knows what she's promoting isn't what it is. Like, like it's mm-hmm. almost like she... 
She knows what she has to say right now in order to win the Democratic nomination. And she she seems very Machiavellian almost, Max, where she's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to say things that are entirely against what I truly believe. But damn it all, if it gets me into the White House, so be it. And right. And I think that's the most scary part of the entire Elizabeth Warren candidacy is that she she truly is dishonest in what she actually believes and there's a lot of people in the, in the left uh who who are you know not only parroting back what she says but they're embracing these ideas as truth because i mean when they when they talk about elizabeth warren to their friends like you mentioned she's the one who has a plan and that's kind of been what she's been promoting as you know her her vision for america is all these plans so I think there's a really big disconnect in terms of what she's actually promoting versus what she's actually in the past said she believes. And I think she probably still believes in some way, shape or form. So, you know, I think that, um, so, so, so for all the lawyers listening out there, we love you. Don't worry. But, um, she does really bring a mentality to this that reminds me of, um, in my old career, I did consulting work in big litigation, Mm -hmm. um, in New York and, yeah, she reminds me of sort of the New York law partners that were my clients in a way. Um, and I think that I, my guess is that in her mind, she is going to save the country, she thinks, and um, she will do what she needs to do to get elected. And I agree with you that that um, I think that that she that she does have sort of a Machiavellian streak, but she, I think she also um, she also sees the economy so adversarially. And that's something that's true of her and Sanders, too. Um, right. Just if you listen to her give speeches or in debates, just count the number of times she uses the word fight. Yep. Right. Yep. This is all a fight. And that's really misdiagnosing the problem. Um, that's that's thinking about our economy like there's 20 people in it. And if something bad happens, then one of those 20 people must have done something bad. When we have millions of people all interacting with each other, we can get bad outcomes without somebody specifically, without somebody to fight. And 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 I think that that she, at least in in the way she talks and the plan she puts forward, um, doesn't uh, really understand that. And and there mm-hmm. are so many of these plans that we could, you know, um, you know, break up big tech. Uh, she she the other day she was saying. Um, Oh, Mark Zuckerberg is complaining that I'm an existential threat. And it's like, well, you did say you were going to break up his company. Right. Exactly. So you're kind of an existential threat. <laughs> um, but it, it so, you know, the, the, the other part of it, the other sort of naivete, if you want to call it, or, um, you know, sort of willful disregard is that um, that she wants to create so much more of a regulatory apparatus in the mm. government that what happens then is that only increases the points of contact between big business and big government. And we know from literally every administration ever that um, that regulators get co-opted by um, by big companies. And again, that may not be because two people are sitting there in a back room being corrupt. And I think that's her vision of it. But rather, it's... Um, it's, you know, these people cross paths, these people know each other, these people went to school together. And, and you know, the more that you have people, you know, this office saying, geez, well, you know, you have over a billion dollars in assets, we're going to give you um, this special charter. Uh, you know, those, those little connections and those little moments of paths crossing sort of add up into something a lot larger. And so I think 
you know, you could be looking at something if she implemented a lot of this, that's really, you end up with kind of preferred big companies, kind of national champions getting really preferential treatment. And right. then, you know, I think the worst case scenario of a Warren presidency doesn't even happen with Warren, but it but but happens down the road um, that she starts us on, which is towards more of this kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, state capitalist model mm -hmm. that you see in China or kind of in Russia or where you have a very powerful centralized government and they're sort of collaborating with and 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 casting favor to to various companies and right. that sort of thing. Yep. And it's really a short drive from the type of hands-on regulation she wants to that. So what would you say, Max, just based on your analysis of pretty much all of her, you know, what, 3,000 plans, what right. do you find to be like the top three most troubling aspects of her plan? Are there anything oh, that really man. stuck out for you? Like, this is like the, the reverse of Desert Island album. <laughs> um, so... So, okay, well, well, I think three to really um, point out are one um, is the wealth tax. And let me put in a plug for the wonderful work that uh, my colleague Phil Magnus has been doing. Um, he, he's like a one man sort of like defense force against um, against outrageous claims from both the left and the right and sort of keeping them there honest. Go, Phil. And her economists have gone out. Now, she wants to basically say. Um, if you have over a certain amount of wealth, we're going to tax that wealth every year, which is something that's not really ever um, been tried, at least in the United States. And um, it's very controversial as to how much money this would raise, as to what kind of distortions this would, um, you know, enter in. You know, imagine if, um, you know, d d does this make a wealthy person just go out and buy a bunch of nice stuff, at the, you know, on April 14th yeah. or something like that? Um, but, um, and her economists have had done some academic work on this. They're, they're, they run in the same circles as Thomas Piketty, who wrote the, the very famous book about inequality, capital in the 21st century. Um, so she's got that, some people uh, who are- also pointed out big flaws in. So she's got um, some people on her show or on her economic team who I think are also big proponents of the, uh, the modern monetary theory too. Correct me if I'm wrong um, there. You know, I think that's more Sanders- Okay, um, gotcha. And I, I, I think, I think her economic team is like one step more mainstream than that. But okay. I can see where it would look awfully close. Gotcha. Um, yep. And um, no, they're actually even like one step more kind of renegade <laughs> than, <laughs> uh, than 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 guys like Size and Zuckman, um, who who are. But but they went out and they did something that you're not supposed to do as an academic, which is they. They went out and estimated what Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax is, what kind of money it's going to raise, and um, some various results about how much money the rich have been paying in taxes. <laughs> and they went to the New York Times with it um, instead of getting it peer reviewed, which um, is is never a great idea. And because then your your peers are going to review it anyway. And um, you know, and Phil has really done a good job of poking some big holes. Um, in the estimates of how much money this is going to raise, this is going to be great. Um, I wish I had some of his work in front of me right now, but um, I would say go to our site and, and it won't be hard to find. Mm -hmm. um, so that wealth tax, I think, is potentially very distortionary. Um, it, it also, you know, we, we have to unpack what they mean when they say, you know, billionaires are rigging the system. This is what we hear all the time now. Billionaires are rigging the system. Now, um, 
you know, how are they rigging the system is, is my next question. What are they doing? Well, you know, maybe they'll say, well, they're not paying enough in taxes. They're dodging paying their taxes. Okay, well, let's, you know, make them pay their fair, you know, tax rate that's out there. Okay, fine. Um, so that gives the government more money. Now, what are you going to do with it? And, and, and how does this actually help people who are struggling? And right, yep. I think there's kind of a chasm there that that they need to get over that they haven't that they haven't been able to. And so, you know, this this kind of anti-billionaire rhetoric, um, I think, is sort of potent. I think it actually works in a similar way to on the other side, like Trump's anti-immigrant rhetoric. Um, it's sort of this is the other group that I mean, very different groups, but still, this is the other group that is responsible for you struggling, right? for you having problems. You know, scapegoating is one of obviously the oldest Always. things in politics. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but again, it, it, you kind of peel the layers back and you're left with kind of, you know, okay, there, you know, we, that's, is this going to do anything other than make the rich poorer? And they will sometimes say, well, that's fine in and of itself because these people have so much influence. So we should make them poorer so they don't have as much influence. And I want to be like, I mean, there's there's 800 things you can say about that, but one of them is just they're still going to be the richest people in the country, right? right. There's still going to be influence. More influence than them, right? And, and then and, and then so, the question becomes who who's the one getting the influence? And it's not going to be the billionaires so much. Now it's going to be people who are in positions of authority in government, and then government right. becomes. Even more so, the abusive you know power structure that's in place, and and now because it has the the strong arm of the state behind it, it really has free reign. Whereas you know for all their 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 sins that they may have, the billionaires out there have to be responded in some way, shape, or form to a market if they want to be able to continue to either a grow their their wealth or, or b mm-hmm. you know secure their wealth. Um, yep. but there there seems to be this disconnect of people that they're looking at the billionaires as being that scapegoat, not realizing that. When you're giving the power to take down these billionaires just from, you know, on a whim and you're giving that power to the government, it is so easily then able to be manipulated to be used to to really enforce anything that they see. And that kind of goes to your point about, you know, a scary world 20, maybe 20 years down the road where we'll end up with Elizabeth Warren, a post Elizabeth Warren presidency. Exactly. And I and, you know, yeah, let's be clear. Right. Plenty of billionaires do bad things, do corrupt things. Nobody is disputing that. What I am disputing is that an administration can sort of scrub that clean without while leaving the rest of the economy intact. Where this is all way too interconnected, and so you know we have to find better ways, um, better ways to do that. Let me, you know, speaking of speaking of billionaires, we can we can move on to Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg. Um, <laughs> Uh, so um, she has a plan that's something it's called something like we can break up big tech. So we're going to break up big tech. And um, this is basically um, this is sort of the pet project of a new young group of um, antitrust attorneys and economists who are basically saying, you know, for the last several decades, we've been we've been using something called the consumer harm standard, which says if two companies are going to merge or if we're worried about a company's market power, it should be because they have the power to charge, you know, higher prices, monopoly kind of prices or specifically stifle innovation or something like that. Direct harm to consumers. And is that a perfect standard? Of course, that's not a perfect standard, but um, it is a very sort of tangible standard that that 
you know, doesn't allow for for too much discretion by antitrust authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, these folks are saying basically, um, no, we should be using antitrust powers to make companies do what we want them to do, right? Which is which is sort of the theme with Senator Warren. And um, you know, capitalism is great as long as everybody does what I want it to, right? Um, and so, so they're sort of aggressively going after really Amazon, Google, Facebook, to some extent Apple, um, almost as kind of poster children for yep. this. This um, they're the example of theory, and you know, they're and and you read her plan, and it's it's vague in some places, and and in fairness, you know, these these things are not you know fifty page white papers; these are like three page things intended for you know everybody to read on her website. But um, you're, you're, it'll say things like, well, Google ads and Google search have to be separated and they can't share data with each other. And it's, I'm thinking then, how is Google going to make money? It's, there's no sense um, of it anymore. <laughs> right, since, since, since what they do is they bring all these people together for their search. That helps the search algorithm because they use the data for that. But that also feeds into the ads. That's how they create value. Um, and... You know, these breakup big tech is a really weird idea because unlike some of the famous antitrust cases in the past, you know, Ma Bell, Standard Oil, that kind of thing, you know, these are high tech companies with platforms that have network effects that, right, their value increases as they get bigger. Um, now, again, that's not to say that um, these companies aren't raising issues that we should be concerned about and talking about. Um, and that they do have power over our data, the information they give to us. You know, the, these are things that as a society we need to be talking about and reckoning with. Personally, I think we need to be informing individuals a lot better about um, that stuff. And then, right. and then, you know, we can let kind of the evolutionary force of the market take over and, and, and you know, learn things and do things that we wouldn't otherwise know. But um, but no, instead, she's basically written down, um, you know, this, um, you know, we, we need to split this from this from this. And um, then and then she says, oh, but you're still going to be able to search on Google and you're still going to be able to. And I'm not entirely convinced that it doesn't lead to um, essentially force Google or somebody like that into a model where you're like paying them for search or something, um, you know, it, 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 and and so. So I, you know, I just think that we need to uh, we need to be very careful, and we need to really um, watch how things change and evolve, and thinking about what um, what our response is to these companies. It's not something where I'm going to be like, oh, you know, this is all great, this is all beautiful, but um, but 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 sitting there, sort of beforehand, and chopping them up sort of forecloses a lot of the different directions that they could go in. Um, and and with innovation, that's not something, we, that's especially not something we want to do. Well, I um, mean, Max, she, all, all she has to do is just copy and paste the whole thing in her comment section on Facebook that says, tonight at midnight, Facebook will take ownership of all my data unless I copy and paste this text as my status. 
because she's a right. boomer. So obviously, you know, that's that's the the, the smart <laughs> thing to do. But anyway, right. so what we're going to do, folks, is we're going to break um, the analysis of Elizabeth Warren and Andrew Yang uh, into two different episodes. So what I want to do is is kind of leave things here, you know, as we get towards the end of this episode. And I'll, I'll leave things for Max here to kind of conclude what's kind of the biggest takeaway that people should have as they're examining an Elizabeth Warren, um, not only just tax plans, but also kind of her vision of how she's going to structure an economy going forward. So we associate with the left economic ideas that are, let's charge high taxes and let's have big government programs. Okay, yes, that's true of Elizabeth Warren, but it's that and more. And, and you used the word unique in the beginning, and I agree. She is fairly unique in what we've seen um, in, in, in my lifetime, at least, in terms of it's, it's sort of this um, technocratic on steroids type of thing where, uh, where a lot of her ideas are really oriented towards a sort of micromanagement that I think is particularly dangerous, that gives the presidency a particularly dangerous amount of power that interferes and distorts the signals in our economy more. Um, and she has this very combative attitude to go along with it that, that um, altogether, I think, adds up to um, not somebody I want to see as president. <laughs> right there with you. All right, Andrew, well, listen, until we get to uh, talking about our conversation about Andrew Yang, uh, thanks very much for joining The Brian Nichols Show again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. Trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life. Raise your hand if you heard any of those tiresome phrases over the past year and a half. I know my hand is currently raised. Millions of people across dozens of industries were labeled unessential and forced to lock down with livelihoods and futures crushed in an instant. And as government has continued to expand its power and leverage fear to turn neighbor against neighbor, a group of filmmakers have taken a stand and are determined to help set the record straight on the importance of following the actual science of the pandemic. Follow the science on lockdowns and liberty from the Sound Mind Creative Group is a brand new docu-series highlighting the stories of those negatively impacted over the past year and a half by ineffective government policies enacted in the name of following the science. With noted experts like Nick Hudson from Panda, the Pandemic Data and Analytics Organization, healthcare policy advisors like Scott Atlas, and telling the stories of business owners, families, and just your average everyday person harmed by these government mandates. Follow the science on Lockdowns and Liberty is giving us a chance to make sure the true stories of the pandemic are told. So please help us at The Brian Nichols Show in supporting the Sound Mind Creative Group. With noted figures in the Liberty Movement like Dr. Tom Woods donating thousands of their own dollars to this project, you know just how important this project is. So head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science to donate and catch their brand new trailer to the docuseries one more time. That's briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science.